Hey, are you looking to buy or sell real estate? You've got questions, we've got answers. Welcome to the show, it's gonna be great. Featuring Matt and Jen from Home Team for You. And now, without a moment's notice, haste, I don't know. Adieu? Sure, it's Matt and Jen. I almost Jacob. nailed the intro. <laughs> Did, not hit. Did not hit it. Yeah, yeah this is right. what happens when Matt makes fun of a do. Then every time he tries to do <laughs> his intro, he can't say it. So. Yeah, can't say it without further ado anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to practice saying something different. I miss that guy. Yeah. <laughs> My friend to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Today, we have some folks in studio. So, Roger Stodder's with us today. Hi. All right, what's going on, Roger? How are you hanging in after the holidays? I am looking forward to a strong 2022. The demand is going to be phenomenal as it was last year. The supply hopefully will be increased from last year, so we'll have somewhat more orderly markets, but I'm not counting on it. Yeah, all right. Uh, and Ben Wright is with us. Hey, Ben. Hey, Jen, Matt. Everybody, yeah. hello. How's how's it going for you? Do you have a good holiday and all that kind of good we, stuff? We had a good holiday. Um, probably had a little bit too much holiday cheer. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm probably looking to go on a diet for 2022. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> other than that, uh, everything was good. We had a good holiday. Family and friends got together and it was real good. Good, 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 good. Well, are you guys ready to chat about the west side of Madison? We sure are. (laughs) All right, Jacob, take it away. All right, I'm going to lead today's discussion on the community spotlight, which is Madison's West Side. Uh, So first, let's start off with the basis. Can you guys talk about maybe a little bit about the history of the West Side of Madison? Actually, scratch that, rewind. Let's define what the West Side of Madison is for today's conversation. So where are we, what are we, what area are we talking about? I would say we're probably talking about uh, Park Street to the west. Okay. So about from so the capital like to west. the west. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. can, you can define it various ways, but the capital of the west, Park Street to the west. Perfect. All right. Cool. So now that we have our parameters, what, what's, uh, what's the story of Madison's west side? The west side has always been the prestigious side of Madison. I've been a realtor in the city since the 1960s. When I started, there was a very strong division between the east side and the west side. The east side was very much a working-class community. We had Oscar Mayer, which at one point had 3,500 people working there. We had the Gishold Machine Company. We had Madison Kipp, all of the... uh, People who led these companies lived in Maple Bluff, and the rest of the east side was was working class. And it it was pretty prosperous, sold many, many, many houses to people who lived, who worked for Oscar Mayer, who worked for Gisholt, who worked for Kip. They were making very decent money, and the companies were prospering. Uh, So that's, that's the history of the east side, the west side was always the the preferred side of town the the inn side of town the uh, all of the major institutions of the community were on the west side the university the hospitals uh, and uh, so most of the professors most of the people who led the university lived on the west side the doctors lived on the west side the west side had more expensive houses and was was the most towns have the inside and the not inside town side of town and the west side was definitely the prestige side of town in more recent years communities like Verona Middleton Wanakee some of those prestigious people leadership type people have have moved out to those communities. Mm-hmm. Back in the '60s, Verona and Wanakee and Cottage Grove and Oregon, and these, they were small towns, two three thousand people. Now they're uh, at uh, ten thousand, 
12,000, 15,000 people. Sun Prairie's at, what, 35,000 people. So a lot of people have moved out of the city of Madison and into these communities. But the west side remains the, the prestige side of town because that's where the university mm-hmm. people are, uh, are centered and Madison is a university town. Do you think some of the uh, expansion, the people that you mentioned, the smaller towns from the east kind of corridor, um, possibly working on the west side now, I think that changed in the, when did the um, Beltline go through? Was that 70s, 80s? I wonder, if that, actually, wonder if that actually grew those smaller towns to... Yeah, that, that would have made a difference. I Whether it was in the 70s or 80s, I can't remember off the top of I my head. I remember it's something, and it might have been the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, the, the ability to move back and forth was certainly enhanced dramatically by the, by the Beltline. Because I think that was originally just Broadway, and I don't remember if it Broadway ended or where that went to. Uh, but yeah, at some point in that period of time, the bell line was put through. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So let's stick on the topic of prestige for a minute, because uh, when I think of the West Side, the most prestigious thing I can think of is Hilldale right now, <laughs> which used to not be prestigious, but now it's some fancy spanchy. Oh, it was kind of prestigious. You had Maple, not Maple, uh, Marshall Fields Marshall over Fields, there. Yeah. Marshall Fields was like like the hoity-toity place to go. I guess it depends on the decade. So yeah. <laughs> the uh, the 70s, both, I think we talked last week about the East Side Mall going in the 70s. West Side was also the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the benchmark, I think, must must have been when all the malls went in. Yeah, West Town has always had higher higher priced merchandise than uh, than East Town Mall. Mm-hmm. And now I think West, the West Town Mall is, is much more prosperous than the East Town Mall this point i think they're all going to get torn down <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we we talked about a little yeah. bit on the podcast they're going to totally renovate east side they're going to tear down the whole mall build a whole new uh i don't know exactly what it is commercial pri residential both i would think yeah some sort of hybrid something it feels like it's going to be another hilldale yeah i think you're right yeah mm-hmm. but um anyhow I my I think I think Hilldale now is super fancy because it's got the Apple Store. Oh brother! <laughs> <laughs> you know I think there's an Apple Store on Williamson Street, right? That's an Apple Repair Store. Oh, same thing. Yeah. It's not That's an so Apple pretty store. much when we go to Apple, we're like something's broken. It's not very often, but every no, no, now no. and again. That's that's just a guy. That's <laughs> a guy. It's just some guy that's really smart with computers. Roger, uh, based on your experience, how would you compare prices? Uh, you know, if you were to Say three bedroom, two bathroom house, two thousand square feet on the east side versus that same house on the west side. Uh, overall, prices what percent higher on the west side than the east side? The west side uh, comparable housing has always been more expensive, maybe uh, maybe twenty percent higher, something like that. I I would say as an average over time. Mm-hmm. And what so? What you get out of that is then you get access to, uh, you know, the institutions you talked about, the hospital and the university. and You can ride your bike downtown, mm, all yeah. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So is that pricing just adjusting for the what people make on that side of town, the average income? I guess think it's, there's advantage to it. It's, it's demand and supply, yeah. and the, the supply is a, is a higher level of housing than is on the east side. And the uh, particularly the university supports it. Certainly, university people want to be close to, university. close to the university. So that's and there are what? How many employees at the university? I guess oh. there are what forty five thousand students. So there are a lot of a lot of employees. Twenty five thousand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about food. Do you guys got any any uh, recommendations for restaurants that you like on the west side of Madison? Anything comes to mind? I have eaten several times at Oliva, which is a Mediterranean restaurant uh, on the west side. I like Mediterranean food. They are only open in the evenings now. They aren't open for lunch because of the I guess the 
limited supply of help, mm. but uh, they are a very fine restaurant, and uh, so I, I enjoy that. Have you guys been to Louisiana's? Yeah, not recently, but I, I've I've been That's there. Yeah, hmm. yeah, the Orleans yeah. type uh, downstairs piano yeah. restaurant. Yeah, oh, sounds kind of neat. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Where's that at? Uh, it's on um, Human Street, Hubbard. I think it's actually technically Middleton, but it's West Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a if you start getting into that Middleton area west side middleton they kind of blend together Blend together yeah there's some good there's some good spots over in like greenway station i don't know if that's is that middle is that west side is that middleton i think that's middleton greenway station ah okay <laughs> we'll save it for another podcast yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I still count it <laughs> i like johnny's steakhouse over there that's pretty good mm. oh yeah i think they have the same big box restaurants like the olive gardens and the chilies oh and, sure yeah uh, portillo's i think is on the west side we talked about portillo's on the east side last week okay they must have an east and west location. Yeah, mm-hmm. they got. I mean, every every major chain restaurant Stick you can Filet, think of. Yeah. Or, uh, Chick Fil A and uh, <laughs> Longhorn Filet. Steakhouse. He's making a new restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's the vegetarian version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leaves and sticks. Dave and Buster's. They got a Dave and Buster's. Yep, I've been there. Yeah, we took the team there once. Yeah, melting pot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, they got the melting pot over Where there. You know Vino. Oh, yeah. We went there with the start group. Yeah. I haven't been there. That sounds too fancy for me. It's pretty fancy. I probably won't, can't afford to go there. <laughs> Olive Garden. It had, had a really great view of the Capitol. Not in the room we were in, but in a, another room. So fancy, fancy. And if we get closer to downtown, then we can start talking about all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I don't know when we're like central downtown versus west side. But <laughs> We're just going to do a central downtown? We, might, we sh- probably should do a central yeah. downtown episode. Yeah, I mean, we could talk food all day long down there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems like the hungry. food portion of our podcast usually go longer than anything else. Well, <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm hungry now. I know. I mean, Ben's like, we're, I'm hungry. Bonfire. We got bonfire s- on the bell line. Mm-hmm. There's an actual fire? or Bonfire. No, that's oh. the name of the restaurant. <laughs> yes, it, yes. Is that the news? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that one. Yeah, Bonfire's a nice restaurant. Yeah. 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 You've never been to Bonfire? I never even heard of it. Really? We you know where the Ford, took the Ford dealership? Once. It's right by the um, Kaiser. Kaiser Ford. Hello? Okay. I'm <laughs> listening. I don't know. You don't know where that is? Uh, I know all those dealerships, like uh, Fish Hatch. Yeah. Yeah. So keep taking the furniture road past Don's Oak, past... Todd Drive? Uh, no. It's, it runs it's like on the probably. bottom of one of those big, ginormous buildings that they built over there. Oh, like that. Okay. I, I know I know what you're talking about. Just say yes. Yeah. Yes, got it. Okay. <laughs> I went. To, I had breakfast at one of those places. The egg, what's it called? Yeah. Cracked egg or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've never eaten there. I've always kind of wondered what they had there. They got eggs. Eggs. <laughs> All right. Eggs and pancakes. And All these not. restaurants start to blend towards downtown. It's like Cento and. Oh, Cento's. Yeah. That's really classy. Lombardino's. Yeah. All right, all right. We won't, we won't, Hungry. we won't dwell on uh, restaurants too long. But um, overall, the vibe I'm getting from West Side of Madison is if you're looking to live in Madison with, uh, you know, fancy pants stuff, <laughs> we'll call Madison West Side the fancy pants side of Madison. <laughs> um, that's that's where you're gonna be. I think if you're like Roger mentioned, the university, um, that's probably a good location, easy access to the university. Hospitals, yeah, fancy pants, fancy pants, okay. yeah. fancy pants. It's yeah. fancy so pants. The medical, the medical people, many of them need to be. Yeah. Right. They have Close. to be within twenty minutes because yeah. they're yeah. on yeah. call. So of it's the, kind of like uh, of the a built-in area yeah. right there. It's like, hey, we have to be within twenty minutes or fifteen minutes because that's right. Might need to be in surgery in <laughs> a half an hour. You know, we there's no stress there. I can understand. All right, so let's let's talk about a, um, a new segment we're going to start on the show. It's going to be called, uh, maybe we'll come up with a better name, but right now I'm just calling it Real Estate Terminology. So yeah, each you week, come up with a different name. I know. <laughs> but each week we need to, we're going to talk about a term and kind of break it down. Uh, Jen, do you have the term in front of you? All right, the term for this podcast is as is. Would you like me to tell you about it? What we have for our notes here so far. Should we let them just 
tell us what they think it is. Let's read the definition and then we can dissect if it's okay. right because I stole it from the internet. <laughs> so a property marketed in as is condition usually indicates that a seller is unwilling to perform most if not all repairs. It could also mean that it is priced as is which typically uh, lower than market pricing in the area is what this says. The first definition is the only one I'm familiar with. People people use that if sellers just say, I, I don't want to do any work on the property. And sometimes they stick to that and sometimes they don't. But people who are selling their houses oftentimes think if they say we're selling as is, that will preclude people from asking them to make repairs or lower the price based upon the inspection it won't. Yeah, that that's something that people don't necessarily understand that you can say that something is as is, but if people can still do an inspection, they can still ask. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that all of that stuff is going to go away. And can it be detrimental to say that your house is as is? In some cases it might because then people are like, "Well, what's wrong with it?" Right. So you have to be careful when you use that as-is language, for sure. I think in this market now, I th you may have the as-is. People understand a little bit better that it's priced going to the, the second definition. Yeah, it, that second part about price, I wouldn't, I would never have thought that that was something. So I would say the internet wasn't right there. But oh, <laughs> got it wrong. I charge you, internet. I say no. So you don't think there's an implicit, uh, you know, this is cheaper than it's lower. There's something like like you're saying. There's something wrong with it because it's as is. Like, why would you say that unless there's something wrong with it, right? Well, people think potentially that there's something wrong with it. I don't know that it comes through at least in any market that I've ever worked in that it was, you know, more affordable. Because, I mean, you would hope, I think maybe some people think that they're going to get a deal if it's as is, and maybe that's what this is getting at. Mm -hmm. But in reality, then, nope. Hmm. I don't think so. Not in this market. Well, not in any market I can think of. Yeah. It basically just means the seller doesn't want to mess with it. Yeah, the seller doesn't want to do anything. So if you are willing to take it as it is... You know, I guess it might give somebody license to try and lowball and be like, okay, I will offer you a lower offer because you're as is and I won't make you fix anything. As is certainly indicates that there's a likelihood that there's work that needs to be done on the property mm -hmm. because you would never put a property in top shape on the market and say we're selling this as is. I've had people want to do that though before. And I'm like, they just don't want to deal with anything. Yeah, they the, just, they're just like, we're not just, we don't want to do anything. We think we did all we're doing and we're done. And it's like, well, you're sending a really poor message. Because mm, yeah. <laughs> now people think that, you know, you've got something hiding somewhere. Can you mm. say, as is in perfect condition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I've, I've wanted to say stuff like that. Or I've talked to people and been like, are you sure that you want to put that on there? Like, yeah. I mean, I, it doesn't really make sense because if the house is in tip-top shape, why even, what what else is there to, it, it will be as is. Yeah, people are like, I just don't want to negotiate. Like, okay. Certainly you, you get, as a buyer, you go out and look at a property and you say to yourself, what's wrong with this property that isn't evident to me? What's wrong with this property that isn't being disclosed by the seller? And that's that's always in your back of your mind. And if you put in the as-is provision, that just triggers that. Yeah, there's something wrong here. Uh, so you you want to? It, it's probably not not very useful. Yeah, it, usually it's, it's a seller that wants it before I would say we're putting that in there. Yeah, because I mean yeah. people. Whether it's as is or not, they're likely going to have an inspection. So they have the inspection, and you say as is, it's probably going to have the same outcome. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> why? It might save you a step of, like, the buyer's like, oh, I'm not going to ask for repairs. I just know I got to suck it up if I want this. In, in some cases, maybe. 
But if it's something really major, they might just say, well, they're not even going to negotiate. We're out. That should yeah. be disclosed in the condition report anyway. Yeah. If it's that major league, it really should be on the condition report. It's an aspirational expression by the seller. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I'm going to crop out everything and just that's <laughs> deep. Just, yeah, deep. It's deep and poignant. All right. I got some questions. I got some as is questions for you. So, uh, Who's responsible for a home's condition if it changes after the offer was written? So it says it was as is. They write an offer, and then, I don't know, uh, there's a flood in the basement. Was the offer written or accepted? It was It was written. But it the, wasn't accepted? Um, let's say it was accepted. Okay. No, it was accepted. Okay. And now there's a flood in the basement after it was accepted. But it was written as as is. So... Who is responsible there? Still have the fifteen percent, or damage past a certain percentage that still. No, I mean, get out of the, the, the seller has to disclose if something happens to their property. Wisconsin isn't a buyer beware state. You, if if things go catastrophically wrong in a property, you you have to let the buyer know. And then the buyer has the option of still backing out of the deal. The only time that they would have to be able to back out of the deal is if I believe it's more than 5% of the purchase prices and price. damages. Yeah. Other Which if the basement's flooded, that's definitely probably more than 5%. Yeah. So if it's like a mattress falls down the stairs and it, you know, wrecks some drywall, that's not it. This It has to be pretty catastrophic for it to, you know, be in that dollar amount. But yeah, if it got above the 5% and the seller couldn't bring it back to its original condition or wouldn't bring it back to its original condition, then the buyer could get out. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, they need to you know, disclose it and talk about it and figure out what they're going to do. Because the seller, there's a, a newer clause in the offer to purchase where um, the seller has to uh, maintain the property. So they have to maintain it. They can't just be like, oh, you bought it. I'm, you know, <laughs> turning off the heat and I'm not going to weed anything but and we're going to let it go. It's a nice clause. No, yeah. it's a pool. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. an indoor pool. Did say as is, <laughs> as yeah. will be. You know, I, in some states where it's buyer beware, maybe you could do that, but not here. So nice. And if somebody tried to do it, I, I think it would be quite an outcry. So basically, this real estate terminology segment is going to turn into what the internet thinks, and then we correct <laughs> the internet. <laughs> Sorry, internet. I like it. Well, but the internet probably has real estate from all over. Oh, yeah. So if generalized. you have something that's more buyer beware, then, then maybe, but that's not here. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, there's your um, internet correction of the day segment. <laughs> <laughs> Editing internet by Jen. I like it. <laughs> now I gotta I already made some graphics now I gotta fix them <laughs> alright <laughs> sorry it's fine I'd rather be correct than wrong alright so the next thing that we were gonna talk about today is 10 tips to sell your home in 2022 um, Jen I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it back at you um, if you guys wanna if you wanna read through each tip and then have the team kinda discuss why it's important. You want to, um, you want me just to go one at a time or you want me to do them all? Let's do one at a time. So we have time to like chat about them. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So number one, depersonalize. What's another name for uh, doing some depersonalizing stuff? What would you do to stuff? depersonalize? Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, yeah, decluttering and depersonalizing the property before a sale. On the you know depersonalizing size side, it would be you know if you've got family pictures put up, um, um, taking them down, just just trying to make the rooms a little bit more neutral. You know when you do have a buyer that comes through, you want them looking at the house and its attributes, not necessarily the various personal pictures on the wall. Well, the first three are depersonalized, minimized, and virtually kind of staged as a thing. Up. So they kind of are all in there. Yeah, I think I think minimalize is a little different. I mean, depersonalize is part of it, but it, I think going back to Raj's thing about clutter, yeah. um, I think a lot of times less is more, and people don't realize it. And I think uh, it's hard to view a space when there's stuff everywhere in it, and you can't 
because it kind of ties into the photos too. I mean, you, if you're focusing on what's there, you can't actually see the house, mm-hmm. whether it's the pictures of the family or it's the clutter. Yeah, less is more. I'm not sure about number four. What does that actually mean? Whiten the walls. So that was back in the 90s when yeah. all the walls were, were like, well, they wanted all the walls white because they had still a lot of the the, the color from previous. <laughs> and if you had, you know, color on your walls, it was like, oh. So everybody, we'd be like, whiten your walls, whiten your walls. And then HGTV came out and it was like. Brown the walls. Woo, the walls yeah. are brown and now the now walls are the all walls. gray. Maybe neutralize the walls. Yeah, yeah, so you want to neutralize the walls. So if you have a red wall and a purple wall and a chartreuse wall, you probably don't want all those color chartreuse i don't know but you don't want it you don't want it (laughs) (laughs) you don't want it Mm -mm. and i mean if you are looking at real estate pictures online and you're tap tap and the first one has a lime green kitchen i mean you're gonna be like oh probably so it's uh neutralizing the the colors okay though depending on the color yeah I listed a house once. Every wall was painted bright yellow. Was it bright? Was in it there? so happy? <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it was not real attractive. <laughs> yeah, they say that when you paint a, you should paint your kitchen yellow because it's so happy and it makes makes your kitchen. Why do you want the just, kitchen happy? I well, that's where your heart is in the kitchen with your family. That's where my stomach is. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that a lot of serial killers grew up with yellow rooms. <laughs> <laughs> what color are your rooms, Jacob? Oh, you know. Number five, coming soon. So I wrote that one. Yeah, I was going to say that one. I'm like, what are you there. talking about? This is a home team for you special tip. Uh, and I think the reason why I wrote this one, you guys can talk about why we do the coming soon campaign but i think a lot of people are they rush to sell the house and they miss out on that coming soon stage where it's lit where it's out there people know it's about to be on the market and you can build that hype there's a marketing marketing guy kicks in his yeah, oh, yeah. boy, marketing all the way <laughs> well you talk about that one then all right well uh as somebody that does the coming soon campaign stuff um it it's uh and in today's market, it's an extreme seller's market. So usually you put your house up for sale, it's going to get sold. But a lot of times, um, the best thing to do is let it sit in that coming soon phase on Zillow and other websites. That gives you a tip for realtors and other buyers, and that builds a hype. So then the day it's actually on for sale, you now have a pack of hungry piranhas going after your house all at once, which may potentially start a bidding war. Theoretically. Drive up the price. Yeah, yep. that's right. Leverage the offers. Higher Number price. Six, sell before you buy. Is that yours too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you guys think about that one? So what do you mean by that? In today's market, uh, you have a house and you want to buy another house, but um, it's hard to, some. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice, but if you put an offer on a house, but you still have your house to sell, your offer might get rejected for for another offer that uh, has no strings attached. So, so maybe accept an offer before you buy or make an offer. You need to have the capacity to to get a bridge loan. You make sure you should have one in place uh, so that you can make an offer that isn't subject to the sale of your house. Uh, but uh, you don't necessarily. People, I don't think people want to sell their house and then start looking. Because it's competitive out there, and the the bridge loan is is a real good solution. The the cool thing about being a seller is that you are in control of the process. You don't have to sell your house. So if you are wanting to get out there and you know sort of test the waters, we can get the house on the market, and then you know see how quickly we're getting offers. But in this market where it's a heavier um, seller's market, we have more leverage where we can say, you know, the seller wants to make any offer subject to them finding suitable housing or they want to be able to have 90 days to find something else. And then that would allow them, if they're not able to do the bridge loan, to uh, 
be able to control, get a, the destiny. C- control their destiny. And if people are like, you know what, I'm not doing that, they can say, well, fine, then I'm not selling to you. So it, it is a lot of work to get the house already and do all of that and then ultimately be like, well, you know, nobody's willing to do what I want. But in this market, I think there's more and more people that are like, well, fine, you know what, you go find your house, you take 90 days, whatever you need, and, you know, we'll, we'll wait. I think you'll find the people, the prices that they're getting for the homes now are sometimes willing to make two moves. Mm-hmm. You move into a short-term rental and store their stuff and then eventually find, go out and find the house they like. The buyers can make it worth it to the seller. They get way more than they think. And then as a wise person once told me, the process changes perceptions. And uh, all of a sudden they're like, woo, I got 30,000 over. I I can, you know, afford to go on a vacation for a month. And (laughs) uh, yeah, (laughs) just go. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the tension between, do you sell first and then buy, or do you try to buy and then sell? Is 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 one of the key intersections that that realtors have to be skilled at uh, at maneuvering through, mm-hmm. and so that's that's one reason why you want a skilled and experienced realtor to Don't work that through for you. Yeah, because if if you can't get that bridge loan, like Raj said, getting the bridge loan, I mean, that's the easiest thing to do but there is some risk with it because could you end up with some double payment kind of things or some stuff that's a little like oh well if your house doesn't sell now you know what do you do but in this market I don't really foresee that happening so bridge loan would be number one and then the other options that I talked about being able to leverage and negotiate number seven first offers aren't always the best offers that's yours too, isn't it? So if we went around and just asked, in, in your experience, so Ben, in like the offers that you've dealt with, in a lot of cases, have you noticed that the first offer was the best offer or not? Um, I'd say maybe 50% of the time mm-hmm. based on offers we've received in the past. It's pretty well, good. Yeah, what about you, Raj? Best offer? First go. one being the I best. The I would I would say that generally the first offer is the best offer. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Matt? I think like Raj said, it shortens the time on the market. If it if it's first offer is the best offer, that does shorten the time. So in theory, if you the longer you're on the market, the lower the offer you'd get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with um Raj and Matt, in most cases, the first offer, uh, especially if it's like way ahead, there we're probably watching and it, it may be the best offer. This market is a little bit different because it tends to be your first offer, maybe 15 offers. So (laughs) it's a little little weird, but uh, in a more normal market, usually a lot of times that first offer, somebody's been waiting and, you know, wanting this property. This one's my favorite, number eight. Mm -hmm. Smell test. Yeah. That's yours too, isn't it? (laughs) They're all all (laughs) mine. Some interesting tips. (laughs) Smell test. The smell test. I got this one. I mean, we talk about this on the podcast a lot, but I... From firsthand experience, my wife, when we did that showing at that one house I won't talk about, it didn't pass the smell test. And I think there's a deep psychological thing of how a house smells because you smell it before you see it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the smell, then it's really hard to get past that. If there's, there's something also the off. flip side, too, that if there might be a smell in a house that reminds you of something in the past that you liked. Mm-hmm. Like it could Jen, be. For example, we can talk about that one. Yeah. When we bought our uh, first cabin, when we walked in, it smelled like my grandma Van Ralty's house. Like I walked in and I was like, yep, this is it. This is the one. And turns out it was just the fact that it had a really, really, really old furnace. And that's basically <laughs> what the, f- what water here. it was. Well, it was an old furnace and an old water heater. So it was like old mechanicals and, and, and like how they kind of smelled. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, this smells so familiar. It smelled like my grandma's old house is what it was, but it, it just triggered that I was like, yep, this one. Now, some smells like that are not really in the control of the seller. Right. But I think there are some smells that you should work on getting rid of. Some really obvious ones that I'm just going <laughs> to let, let them out for you guys to mention the, the obvious smells to 
get rid of cat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, a- anim- ferret. Animal yeah. smell. Oh. Uh, have you ever smelled ferret smell? Oh yeah, I used to have two. Oh yeah, so oh. it's cat times ten. <laughs> yeah, just being a landlord, we had somebody who had he kept a couple of ferrets in a closet. All like locked up. Mm-hmm. Oh, that closet! We had to rip the carpet out. It mm. was not yeah. not good. But yeah, that pill is past the smell test. Yeah, animal smell and like cigarette smell cigarette. can be a real turnoff for people as well. So pretty much, if it's not like cookies and uh, homey smells, I think yeah. sometimes no. <laughs> sometimes the uh, air fresheners are overwhelming. Candles yeah. especially, yeah. especially the the more floral scent stuff. And a lot of people have allergies. So if you light a candle in every room and you have, you know, everything smelling like flowers, people are like, whoa. But if you do something more like a clean linen smell and put that in the bedrooms or by the laundry, that smells clean to people. If you put cookie smell in the kitchen, that's like, oh, yummy cookie smell. But, you know, having weird garden, what are they called? Gardenia smell like flower <laughs> smell. Yuck. Sorry, I don't like that smell. What's your favorite smell, Ben? Uh, money. money. I love money. <laughs> smell of a fresh beer, I'd say. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> Number nine. First impression is the only impression, says the marketing guy. Mm-hmm. That's right. That one I actually did not make up. That really? one, That one I, I, yeah. But basically the concept of it is that um, that first initial reaction you see is your first impression. And it it really sets the tone for how you feel. Whether you're going online and you're flipping through pictures super, super fast and you're looking at thousands of pictures a day um, or you walk in that house and it smells like garbage, um, you know, it's really hard to get over that first initial thing. It's It, it can be overcome, but putting in all the work to making it uh, as presentable as possible can go a long way so that that first impression really hits. Mm -hmm. The classic statement is you only get one chance to make a good first impression, and that's that's very true in presenting yourself or presenting a property. The the impression you get, the, the, the vibes you get initially are pretty much what sticks with you. Yeah, and things like that. When I, it just comes to my mind when you're showing property that may have a renter in it, where you can't really do a lot of the staging stuff, and people walk in, and you've got a tenant that's still there lounging around. The beds aren't made. There's just stuff strewn around. You've got dishes in the sink. It doesn't give you that homey vibe. It's sort of like dirty, <laughs> which isn't great. I think Jacob, you mes- mentioned it that. I think when people are flipping through photos on the internet, you really do have probably about 15 seconds per listing to get their attention. Or less. Oh, maybe. Per yeah. listing. So you have 50 pictures. It's going to take a while to get through all those pictures too. But I think the first 10 are probably all you get through before you go to the next one. When I used to do web design, uh, they said you had four seconds to get their attention, uh, to land on a web page. If you could keep them for four seconds, you got them. That's really bad. Yeah. That was, that was like... 10 years ago. I was going to keep attention to look at photos more than, well, <laughs> I think website's a little bit different than looking at photos. It's similar though. Still got to click it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably still really true. Last one. Number 10, price correctly. Yes. Does that matter at all, Raj? That matters a great deal. Basically, properties don't sell because they're not priced properly. In a reasonably active market, which we normally have in South Central Wisconsin, if you price your property correctly, it will sell. And if it doesn't sell, by definition, you probably haven't priced it correctly. It may be that it was marketed inadequately, maybe other problems, but uh, if you if you factor in everything that should be factored into the price uh, it should it should sell and it's uh, see it's it's a real messy place well you you have to drop the price it's worth less so staging matters 
Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, what I like to say is it's um, the marketing and the staging and then the pricing. And those are your big three. So if one of those three are off, that is probably why you're not selling. And uh, in most cases, we we do the staging because we hire stagers and we have them go out. And then our marketing plan, we know it works. So it does come down to price a lot of times. Going back to your staging comment, I think that also ties in with getting the attention of people quicker. Because if it's staged and looks presentable like a Pottery Barn catalog, people are more tend to, I think, look at it longer. Whoa, that was loud. That was loud. Sorry. That was me. Oh, I'm like, I, I just apologize. <laughs> I assumed it was me. So <laughs> but, uh, I had my beep settings. correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and I think there's also something to be said about pricing strategically, too. Definitely, you can, uh, you can try to compete for a listing, and the idea is to get the listing within reason not to price correctly because uh, somebody else will overprice it and get the listing and pretty soon the price will be where it belongs and the property will sell and you will have been right, but you will be out of luck. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is true. And of course, what what the correct price is, is is what we're looking for and what we're arguing about and negotiating about all the time because we don't know what the correct price is. It's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's right. Word. 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 <laughs> Word. All right, you, uh, Jen, do you want to put on your Princess Jen cap mm. for this oh. next segment? Mm-hmm. All right, Please so... Please start with your dad. <laughs> He's very familiar with Princess Jen. <laughs> Princess Jen. Have you, have you, have you met her? She's, she's awful, isn't she? <laughs> <Yeah>. He raised <laughs> her. Yeah. We, he we created her. Good luck with this. King Raj. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> a lot of pressure. I, now I totally want to give you one where you're going to have uh, to say that you have to stage it. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's say that you have a seller, and that seller um, has lived in their home for 30 years, and uh, it is very 90s. It's so it, it's kind of dated. So you have kind of a dated property, and. Uh, to them, it's not dated, so they don't feel it's dated. And then uh, they they do need to sell because they're going to be downsizing. At, but they have a neighbor, and that neighbor uh, has tons and tons of junk. So you have a dated house, and you have tons of junk next door. How would you handle that? Well, if you've got a neighbor who is a slob... This is this is a real problem. Uh, as as a realtor, I guess I would ask the people how they evaluated the the neighbor, and it would be possible to ask the neighbor to to clean up his place, which would be probably the the realtor's job rather than to ask the seller to do it because he's he and she had been living with it. But if you know, if it's a real junk pile next door, it it can kill the sale. It, it just isn't going to sell. And maybe you even uh, offer the the neighbor some money to uh, or some assistance mm-hmm. in in getting rid of uh, what is a real deal killer. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that in the past, Roger? I'm sure I have, although I don't recall a specific incident, but there there are certainly sales that are inhibited because the neighboring property is, is just run down and unattractive and uh, nobody wants to live next to it. It it can be it can be a real problem because the neighbor whom you approach and say, Can we maybe get this cleaned up? may just say go to hell. Which is probably likely. 
Yeah. 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 It is. I, I actually had one of those situations and it was a long, long time ago. So I don't remember the specifics, but I remember they had like this horrifically huge, messy boat and there was all of this stuff like junked in the yard, but nobody actually lived at the house. They just kind of kept stuff there. So I was able to reach them and ask them if it was okay if I just picked up their yard and if they could get the boat out. And I don't remember if I had to offer them money to get the boat out, but they did move the boat and I cleaned up the yard. So sometimes you you have to, but I mean, it it was necessary because I mean, you pulled up and you were like, well, what's that thing over there? So having a neighbor who is a slob may be a motivation, motivating (laughs) factor for the person who wants to sell. So (laughs) in that case, staging fight does not matter. So then you clean up their yard, and you're like, you know what? I don't really want to move anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're looking good. But it good. Didn't, the yard didn't bother the, you know, the seller at all. They they didn't care, and they just sort of thought it was a whatever thing. But when you're trying to get top dollar, it's like, okay, you know, what can we do to make this? And I, I think on a couple of our first showings, I had gotten feedback about the house next door, and I thought, all right, let's let's fix this. So, you did. People who are buying certainly are concerned with the neighborhood, the immediate houses on either side and across the street and the houses on the street. And I have often suggested to people that if they want to find out about the neighborhood and are seriously considering making an offer, ring a few doorbells and say, we're thinking of buying that house. Can you tell me how many kids live in the neighborhood when the bus runs, da-da-da-da-da-da? I don't think anybody ever does it, but uh, <laughs> but it they should because I don't know all of those answers for every house in town, and maybe some people have 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 done that, and it uh, at least gives them a, gives them an option for for quelling their concerns about the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. All right, Ben, are you ready? Lay it on me. Okay. So you have a seller, and the seller of the property, they um, had been on previously with another agent, and they had had their price very, very high, like higher than market value. And now they are jaded, but they have an opportunity to move out of state for a job. How do you go about uh, helping them to get sold when they've had a bad experience before and uh, been priced very, very high? That's a good question. (laughs) I guess, um, you know, doing your homework and being familiar with other comparable properties and trying to kind of dial the seller back into the realm of reality as far as, you know, maybe trying to paint the big picture where their house sits in comparison with other similar properties and then kind of maybe go through the explanation of when it comes to listing your property, you know, there's, you know, a number of different strategies. There's the needle in the haystack approach where you're trying to set an all time, you know, a record for a high sale. And oftentimes, like you mentioned, if you're priced on the high end of the spectrum, you know, you might get a buyer, but the buyer might not have been born yet. You know? <laughs> There's so that. Your house can sit on the property for a long time. And if, if the seller has experienced that, um, then they know what you're talking about. So, again, you know, most people, when they do sell their property, they think it's a gold mine. And that always is a challenge to kind of try to dial people back into getting them within the norm of, of what's going to sell. And um, again, you know, our goal as real estate agents is to try to help get people to where they want to go. So if they, they want to move and they have to sell, then you know, they have to be realistic. And, you know, we'll certainly try to do whatever we can do to get them the best price. But um, again, it's, you know, I'd say, you know, doing the homework and trying to get them more comfortable with what is um, what, what other houses are selling for that are comparable. Mm-hmm. Yep. A really good way to get more realism from a seller is to send reports on showings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do that uh, without fail. Uh, 
and the prospective buyer and their realtor will recite all of the deficiencies of the property and I don't have to tell the seller about those. They're being told by people who are looking at the property, people who are showing the property, and it's just kind of a drip, drip, drip process. You know, the husband comes home at night and says, Gertrude, <laughs> did, did, the, did the house showing go well yesterday? And she says, no, we got the report. They don't like it either. And... Uh, this, this has an impact on motivation and pricing, which is certainly important in getting properties sold in most markets. And Gertrude tells him to lower the price. <laughs> Gertrude says they didn't like it again. <laughs> that's <laughs> never going to sell. That's right. I think Gertrude's the new trending baby name for this year. Is it really? <laughs> it should be. What? <laughs> it should be. This should yeah. be the new oldest. It's, it's the one that's going to sell uh, Ben's so house. Yeah, yeah. I, it born yet. <laughs> yeah. So it's not yeah. this year, it's oh, future it's, years. Yeah. Gertie. Gertie has not been born yet. Oh, Gertie. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Gert unit. All right. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up the same way we've been wrapping it up. I'm going to ask you guys each a question. Um, in this, if you're going to sell, or if you had one piece of advice for a buyer and one piece of advice for a seller in the market this week. What is that piece of advice? My advice to a buyer would be to make sure you get a skilled, experienced realtor because it's a jungle out there. There will be other offers. There are various things you can do to compete and compete successfully. And... Uh, you need you need a realtor who is skilled and experienced. Uh, for for sellers, I just tell them get on the market now. If you're going to sell your house within the next five years, twenty twenty two is the year to do it. Great. I don't think I could. Uh, I just uh, echo Roger's comments. <laughs> I think he hit the nail on the head. See Roger. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> All right, we'll take that. All right, you guys ready to wrap it up? Yes, sir. All right. Hey. Hey. Welcome to 2022. If you're looking to buy or sell real estate in South Central Wisconsin, visit www.hometeamforyou.com. All right, I think that works. Happy New Year. Happy yeah, New Happy, Year. New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See you next time. Roger, you did so good, they're going to have you back here every week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>